From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer. loved seeing the professors that have really thought this through and tried to do the best they can, not just get by. And that's been a wonderful thing. And all of that willingness to try new technology and to jump in and try to make this a, a, a good experience for our students, despite the bad experiences we're all going through right now. Um, I think that's uplifting. I think it's going to help build community across schools and within our school. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The deadly pandemic went global, as did the ramping up of online education, from yoga studios to medical announcements and every level of primary, secondary, and postgraduate education. Joining us today is Michelle DiStefano, who had no need to ramp as her decade-old Law Without Walls, a part virtual, collaborative academic model, left her uniquely positioned to jump into action. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Uh, Just to let our listeners know, we're out of the studio and winging it through the magic of Zoom. But I couldn't be doing this with a more adept guest. Good morning, Michelle. Welcome to The Explainer. Ah, Thanks for having me, Catherine. Great. Um, So you've long held that you can't always wait for technology to be perfect to start something like you did with Law Without Walls. So what are the similarities here? It's very similar, uh, except that right now there's a burning boat. Everybody has to jump onto the technology no matter what, whether it's perfect or not. That said, I think this is an opportunity for people, both um, lawyers as well as law professors, students, staff, you name it, to do different things differently and um, not just say, oh, it's not perfect and take it as it comes. Right. Um, well, certainly not everyone was ready on, on either side of the screen. What would you tell both educators and educatees as we're catapulted without choice into what may be awkward and challenging at first? I'd say start right, right away. So spend the time now thinking through what are the right ways, right tools, right methods and right norms for virtual work and virtual interaction. And I think also an emphasis on how do you get the water cooler moments? How do you get the organic conversations that happen in person to happen virtually so that people feel connected? And I'm sure it's not a one size fits all. Can you talk a little about what what works in, in some arenas and what works better in others? Sure. So, for example, for professors, it's you're going to come at this very differently in teaching students than perhaps you would if you are a practicing attorney. And also depends on the size of your team. So if you just think about size of group for a moment, if you're talking about a group of five people or less, then I think establishing the norms of having videos on at all times when you are meeting and answering calls like you would a phone call, but with your video on, I think you can do a lot with small teams to capture some of what we used to do real time if you build it into your day. 
having, mm-hmm. for example, coffees together or lunch together works with small teams in much larger groups. For example, professors who teach hundreds of students, it's a lot harder to do that. Yet technology and going virtual is giving us an opportunity maybe to be closer to our students than we would in the traditional law school classroom. Right, because you're maybe seeing them much more face-to-face than you would be in, in, a, in a theater type setting. Well, that for sure, right? So right now, if if I were in my civil procedure class right now on Zoom, all of them would be seeing my facial expressions so much better than when I'm at the front of the room, especially the rows in the back. And when I have students participating, if they turn their video on, let's assuming this is a real-time conversation and synchronous with video, I'd get to know them better as well because they're right there close to us. So I think it turns this idea of professor at the front of the class on its head in a really good way. Uh, secondly, for those classes that you can't teach with video live synchronously for whatever reason, um, there is also an opportunity to break your group of students into groups and then meet with them in smaller teams. I think virtual office hours, I've been, I've been holding virtual office hours for the past 10 years and they work really, really well. And you can get a group of students together. So this might be an opportunity for those big classroom formats that we have to be turned on their Mm -hmm. heads and for professors to think through what can be done asynchronously that's just sort of lecture and can be tested and how can we use small group discussions to really get into the material once the students have shown that they're at that point and ready to discuss it. Right. Interesting. Um, So to you, what's the, the most surprising uh, the, the most surprising fallout of the last, where are we, three weeks now? I guess how nimble and flexible my faculty colleagues have been at the University of Miami. I'm not and sure what other... throughout sorry? legal education. And more broadly throughout legal education, has, has anything caught you as, wow, I didn't see it that way or... Oh, oh, that was an unforeseen circumstance. Well, I definitely think that it's a great thing that everyone's gone online and learned how to do this. Mm -hmm. And I have been pleasantly surprised with how many people around the world have reached out to me to get advice, attend one of my free virtual work sessions, and really take to heart some of the what might seem so silly and you know, too detailed to be dealing with at this moment. I've loved seeing the professors that have really thought this through and tried to do the best they can, not just get Mm -hmm. by. And that's been a wonderful thing. And all of that willingness to try new technology and to jump in and try to make this a, a, a good experience for our students, despite the bad experiences we're all going through right now, um, I think that's uplifting. I think it's going to help build community across schools and within our school. I'd say another surprise that I have had is that I feel closer to my faculty in the last two weeks than I have probably in the last 10 years. And part of it is because we're all struggling with the same challenge and everyone's really showing up, you know, on our mm-hmm. virtual meetings. Sometimes 
I've always been a believer that if you have videos on, you are more present sometimes than you are in person because you're seeing yourself. So in our faculty meetings, there aren't people reading the newspaper. There aren't people like looking away and just typing without actually understanding that they're taking, we realize they're taking notes and then they're back, right? So it's interesting because it puts you on notice in the world to be present. And there's a right and wrong way to be present always, but in the virtual world, you see yourself and there's nothing like seeing yourself to make you behave better. So I like that output. That was surprising. Um, I fear, my one worry though is that bad habits might form. And I really hope that although some of us have had to do different things differently, some of the ways we're doing them differently aren't things we should do on a go forward and only do an emergency situation. And also, I really, I want, I hope to help UM Law lead an effort to prepare to have a part virtual and maybe completely virtual program offerings in the future so that not for everything, not for every course, not for everybody, uh, but it is something that we were already working on before the pandemic. And this is a call to action for us to get this rolling now so that if something happens in the future where we all have to go online again, we've got a great system already set up and a way to get lots of people online the right way, right away. Mm-hmm. The right way, right away. I got it. Um, so how do you see this changing, not only being ready for the next time that we have to go virtual, but how do you see this uh, uh, forever changing education, not just Miami law, but throughout the country, throughout the world? So I think it could change it for the better, because I think it's it's definitely going to open up the eyes of the educators on different ways to connect with students and different ways to teach. I think that one of the hardest things about being a professor in higher education is no one trains us, right? <laughs> no one right. trained the trainers, right? So we don't actually know what we're doing. I mean, we, what we did before teaching was writing and scholarship and practice, not teaching a whole generation for jobs we don't even know are going to exist. So I'm hoping that this experience is going to actually help us um, think even more creatively in our in-person classes as well, that, wow, there's different ways we can connect and teach and motivate our students to learn. And I'm also hoping that every professor on a go forward will incorporate online learning of some sort in their in-person classes. I have been a big fan and have been saying for 10 years that the future is blended. I don't believe mm-hmm. that we should just go to a um, virtual world Um I believe we should go to a blended world and most classes should be blended. In some ways they already are. I mean, if you count email, um, Mm -hmm. I also really hope we can move past email. There are so many different apps that could be helping our inboxes right now, but instead all of our inboxes are exploding. Right. Um, Can you address a little the downside when we talk about uh, broadband equality? As, as being a, a roadblock to whatever, blended to any kind of online learning. It seems like we're leaving a big part of, even in the United States, like a big part of middle America where they, they don't have high speed and don't have access to those. Yeah. 
It's a struggle that we've dealt with in Law Without Walls for many, many years with our students from China and our students from South Africa and from other places around the world. And sometimes we've been able to figure out VPNs and certain situations to help. And other times the students haven't been able to participate and that's simply not okay. And one good thing coming out, silver lining of this pandemic is that issue that you brought up is coming up over and over and over again. I don't think there's a group of teachers from kindergarten all the way up through PhDs that isn't talking about this as a problem. I think about my own son, my 14-year-old son, who's in uh, public school here in, uh, he goes to Gables High, and they're having to teach asynchronously just for that reason. Again, though, a a positive is that I think teachers will become more creative and we will be forced to figure out a way to make make the education equal despite the Wi-Fi differences. What will that entail? Probably creative ways of teaching asynchronously. So last night we held a webinar for Law Without Walls. We hold them every week. Uh, for the past 10 years, every Wednesday. And last night's was on inclusion and accessibility. And it was the best webinar yet. And there was a lot of talk about and research uh, that shows that when you innovate to solve, innovate in order to be inclusive and be more accessible to all, you actually change multiple, multiple lives and you become more creative and tons of things, innovations out there in the marketplace that were innovated in order to make something more accessible for people that are accessible challenged have actually helped make all of our lives easier. So the hope is that this will spur innovation and that there will be a way to teach either asynchronously or help the Wi-Fi situation, which (laughs) that's out of my league. (laughs) That's the guy I don't know enough about. Uh, I think it is a big challenge. Um, And I think it's why so many schools are going to these pass-fail options right now uh, to try to protect against that bias. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, Anything you'd like to add in closing? Um, I think you're amazing. You jumped right on this. You've been delivering content, Catherine, for the last... Uh, month on this and it's been interesting and new on our website and uh, really practical and engaging and helpful. And so I think we have to thank you for um, doing that. That's what I would add. You probably don't get thanked enough. Thank you so much, Michelle. That's so kind of you to say. Of course. All right. Stay healthy, my friend. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show was engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Mindfulness in Practice workshops for the legal community during COVID-19. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash mindfulness.